Welcome to the Dental Breakdown Show. This is where we break down issues in the dental marketplace. It's April 22nd, and this is podcast number five in a series of five. My name is Christian White, the CEO of White & Associates Practice Consulting, Better Business, Better Dentistry. Today we are talking about the private dentist's response to the coronavirus. Let's introduce our guest to the podcast. Lisa, let's start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, my name is Lisa Nexter, and I'm an attorney working at Minnesota Transitions with Joe Brickton. In addition to helping with dental transitions, all the legal paperwork that goes on with those, I have an extensive background in the area of employment law. And at Minnesota Transitions, I help clients with employment contracts, writing and drafting, editing employee handbooks, and also with discipline and termination decisions. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, Dr. Frank, let's go to you. Please introduce yourself. Hi. Hi, Frank Milner. I'm a practicing dentist in St. Paul, Minnesota for 43 years. I am an educator, publisher, and a clinical mentor on Milner Mentoring for dentists of all uh, stages of their careers. And it's a privilege to be with you. And as Jay is a military man, me teaching in the military, we know what the task at hand is, and we have a task to perform here today. Amen. Thank you very much, Dr. Frank. All right, Joe Frickton, uh, you're next, please. Thank you, Christian. Uh, my name is Joe Frickton. I'm one of the founders of Minnesota Transitions. Uh, we're a full service uh, dental practice transition firm, helping dentists buy and sell their practices, um, help uh, partner formations, as well as partner exits from practices, associate contracts, real estate, and then all of the legal issues that surround those transitions. Okay, thanks, Joe. All right, Jay White, uh, why don't you please introduce yourself? Hey, hello, everyone. This is Jay White here. Uh, Christian and I are working together, and I've been working together here with Dennis for the last 40 years, and um, I'm having a good time. The practice growth is a big issue. Patient flow, uh, staff togetherness, team building, communications, how to avoid conflict, how to handle conflict, um, how to do scheduling, and how to collect money. It's all part of what we do. All right. Thank you very much, Jay. Okay, Lisa, uh, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Um, so there's one thing that uh, we haven't really talked about yet, and that's the legalities surrounding a patient. You know, if they come into the practice, and what if they're sick? And what if they infect someone in the office? And how does that get handled? Sure. So there are major concerns about even as offices might start opening up in the hopefully near future, um, the, the possibility of continued infection is, is a certainty. It's not a possibility. Mm -hmm. um, so the question is, what happens right now if you treat someone and then later found out that they work that they are COVID-19, let's say within a few days of treatment. Unfortunately, right now, that generally means you have to assume that you or your staff were exposed to possible infection. And right now, the um, CDC is recommending that people stay home for 10 days, or if they develop symptoms, 72 hours after a fever resolves, whichever is longer. Um, that means that your staff can be taken out by a patient who comes in with COVID-19 really quickly. So we've talked a little bit in prior podcasts about um, protective gear, checking people for symptoms, but just keep in mind, 
you know, we just had the example on um, on the Navy ship, the Roosevelt, where 60% of those people infected were asymptomatic. And that was the vast majority of young people coming through doors. So if you have someone coming in, there's a very good chance that they will never show signs that they were COVID-19 positive. Um, and it's hard to, to distinguish uh, between who's healthy and who's not right now. Um, and here's another issue. Uh, for most people, if one of your staff does become sick, the average recovery time for COVID-19 is not 14 days. It is closer to six or eight weeks. And those, wow. those are the people who are not hospitalized. We're not talking about getting off a ventilator. We're talking about people who are simply recovering from average symptoms. So your sick leave policy of maybe a few, four days is probably going to be stretching it um, for most uh, of your staff members. So you might have to consider other accommodations. One other thing you could consider if your team is big enough is to divide your team in half and have one team in the office on some days and a different team on office on other days. And they don't cross and they don't mix. And that way, if one of those team members, um, say a dentist and a hygienist taken out by a patient who does have COVID or are exposed to it and they have to be away from the office for a while to self-isolate, the second team can take over the schedule. Mm -hmm. It's a possibility for some offices. It's not possible for others, and we totally understand that. But it is something people should consider. And an underlying issue on top of all of that um, is what if staff refuse to return to work? Um, we are getting these questions from lots of dentists right now. And uh, there's really simple, there's a real simple answer, right? There's the old school answer is if you, um, those employees who refuse to work, are subject to discipline up to and including termination. If you have a um, employee handbook that says when you don't show up for, for a schedule that you're scheduled for, you can be terminated, that applies. Um, if you don't have an employee handbook, guess what? It's still a very well-recognized reason for terminating someone's employment is they didn't show up when they were scheduled. So if you refuse to work, um, you're also not eligible for unemployment benefits because you have to report to the state that you had work available that you refused to do. So that makes you ineligible. But I would encourage dentists that these are very different times than normal times. And coming down with a sledgehammer when an employee questions whether or not you should really have the office open or not is a really, not probably the best way to work with people. And recognizing that most people have very legitimate concerns about infection, who would take care of their kids, who would take care of their parents, if they themselves became sick. It's an important time to talk with people about what you're doing to keep them safe, what you're doing to keep patients safe, about what they can do to keep themselves safe. So are you sharing with them all the steps you're going to take as a dental office reopening? And what are you going to do if they get sick? Maybe have a, a, a plan that people can be eligible for unpaid leave or things like that. Greenberg takes a long view that you need these employees. Employees are very hard to replace and that you want to work with them and meet them as best you can so you don't have to pull out that hammer and say, if you don't show up, you're fired. That's a, that's a good way of saying that, Lisa. <laughs> Dropping the hammer doesn't usually produce really positive results. So exactly. let me ask this question. Well, no, thank you, Jay. Um, yeah. So, Lisa, do we, you know, 
you know, is the, when you walk through the front door of the practice, then do we need to test everybody who walks through the front door? Do we need to treat everybody as, okay, you have the virus or you may not have it, but we're going to treat you like you do just to protect everyone? Yes, uh, that's a really smart way to go about it because you should be asking people if they have any symptoms and if they just have had any symptoms in the last 14 days, they should not be coming to a dental office, especially for something like the cleaning or a routine procedure. It should only be, um, I have a dental emergency and I'm running a fever, but I can't handle this pain anymore. You don't want them going to the emergency room. So those sorts of situations, there are situations where you might need to provide emergency care, but for most people, you're going to ask them if they have symptoms, you're going to exclude them if they do, but you need to treat everyone like they are infected because likely you're going to have people come in who are asymptomatic. Um, it's really important to treat everyone as if they could be contagious. So, uh, Lisa, you said something that was interesting. Uh, a dental emergency, I'm in massive pain, but I'm not feeling well. I have a cough, I have a fever. You know, as a, you know, as a dentist, you know, are those people that we still want to have come into practice? Do we still work on them? You know, how does that Probably work? Probably not if they have the fever and the cough. Correct. Um, if the you test. look at the, the information that's out there, you're going to be sending them to the hospital, right? Okay. That's where they should have that okay. dealt with, where they can do better infection control or have negative um, pressure rooms where if someone's looking in their mouth, you're not exposing staff or other people to that. Um, I say the hard thing is it's almost spring. If someone has a runny nose or a cough that is pretty intermittent, they think they just have allergies. Are you going to treat that person? Mm -hmm. Hay fever season. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's one of those things where this, these are hard calls to make. Um, I don't want to pretend that they aren't because they are. Frank, you're the dentist out of the group. Uh, give me your two cents on this. This is a fine line we're walking now because the, this is a, a medical legal issue because if you contaminate, if somebody contaminates your office, that's not going to go, go well for the practice reputation. I like what Lisa says. You should be very clear. It's not personal against you, Christian, mm -hmm. but we have to treat you like you're COVID positive and we're, we're going to do everything we can to maintain your overall general health as well as your oral health. Okay. Um, Frank, so I'm going to stay with you now. So how do you reassure patients that they're going to be safe? Okay. Uh, as an educator for over 20 years, I never thought I'd have this conversation. This is brand new, but it's also very, very important. The most important thing for the patient is the experience with the dentist before the virus and after the virus. They have to have peace of mind to come into the office during the COVID uh, virus, after, and why? Because it drives their decision making. And how they make decisions based on what you do now, as we talked about before, and I'm dovetailing into Jay, is that you have to give them peace of mind. So it took courage for them to come into the office. This is brand new. It's not because you're in network. It's, they're shell-shocked. 
you guys just went over the waterfalls in Niagara Falls together, and you're not going to go talk about your golf game tomorrow. You're going to say, holy crap, what just happened here? You have to be personal about your experience as being vulnerable. Me as a, as a dentist, as a, as a office uh, personnel, and what they just experienced before as well. You have to be compassionate. You have to talk about what happened. Now, here's what I'd say to reassure them. Keep in mind, we did this in the one of the previous sections, is that how, how do things line up? How do the stars line up? There's problems and conditions. The patient owns the problems. Those are subjective. I got laid off. I don't have any money. My husband's got COVID. I don't have daycare. That's their world. Your world of conditions are your fact findings. These are your clinical findings. Oh, you have an abscessed tooth. You have a cavity on the molar. But here's the thing. You have to get into patient's world of problems. Why did they call you? Why did they knock on your door? What drove them into the practice? And then you have to link with that and understand their world first before you put your clinical findings in front of them. Those, that's pre-COVID, Jay. You need this and you need that. That word need doesn't exist anymore. So I would tell you is to be understand their world of problems. What is your problem? You, why, why did you come to the office today? Doc, my tooth hurts. Well, why don't we fix that one and do three more besides doing that? that you, can't, you can't do that anymore. The whole thing is based on trust. The trust that you can keep them physically healthy. The trust that you can keep their oral health healthy as well. Now, when you take a look, at, there's an article by Mary Osborne that I've shared with the panel here. And she's a practice consultant, but what she said is we have an opportunity to demonstrate how a relationship-based practice really is different. Of course, you can turn inward and take care of yourself first and the needs, the financial needs of the office, but we need to look outwards now into the patient's world and the challenges that they have before we look at our own financial challenges, staff issues, Lisa, things like that. We can take advantage of this opportunity and we can put our dental instruments down. How can you reassure the patients and give them peace of mind? Put down that instrument. Look them in the eye. What happened? Are you okay? How's your family? What can I help you with today? What problem do you have? Let's see if I can find a solution. Because if, you, if your solution doesn't couple in with their personal life and their problem, it's not going to work. You can't do a dental factoid pre-COVID virus and expect them to comply. That's not how the world's going to work right now. So what you can do to give them peace of mind is post on Facebook, just like Jay's doing. You can post on Facebook, give them updates now on what happened. We're in it together now. Here's, before we open up, this is what we're going to do. I want you to look at this forum. I want to see, you're going to have a, a notice on the front door. These are the rules. These are the guidelines. And if you're going to strictly adhere to these guidelines, that's your business. But if you want to go beyond those guidelines, you better tell them what you're doing. In the office where I'm working with, uh, they're going to uh, 
the dentist is bringing in uh, very expensive air purifiers and disinfectants to go above and beyond what the protocols are going to be. Now, this has to be uh, demonstrated to the patients through Facebook, texting services, and things like that. You can tell them we're going to have extended hours. We're not going to rush. We're going to have staggered scheduling. That gives them peace of mind. And finally, when your practice is based on relationships, Jay, I've learned from you very well. And what you told me decades ago when we started do, have, doing this rodeo together, you have an opportunity, opportunity to use what you know to make a difference. And it's not your dental instrument that you need to know now. It's your heart. And That's right. there's, there's market share here for people who have a heart and they don't need to, to get production with their instruments. They're going to get referrals because you're very empathetic today. I think the... So you have an, you have an opportunity. Yeah. The corporate offices who are running people through on great volume are going to have some difficult times here. Yeah, the, and the, the market share might go back to the private dentist that has personal relationships, irregardless if they're in the network. Yeah, I, I think I, I not to step in front of you. I'm going to I'm going to wrap it up, but I think the private practice practice could have a renaissance here about overall health of the a patient, keeping you healthy and doing quality work. It's not going to be about high end dentistry right now. Right. The Dental Breakdown Show, sponsored by White & Associates Practice Consulting. Better business, better dentistry. They are a practice management consulting firm for dentists and other healthcare-related businesses. Their sole purpose is to implement proven strategies through online and in-practice visits and result in the personal professional success of the dentist and his or her team. Let's move over to Joe, because uh, I know Joe's got something that's uh, actually really important to talk about, and it's talking about dentists who are thinking about a transition and how do they protect themselves? You know, Joe, we've talked a little bit about a U recovery. You know, is this going to be a V recovery? Uh, you know, nobody knows that for sure, but uh, you've got some, some really good thoughts on the subject. So please uh, talk about that. Thanks, Christian. Uh, yeah, we have been, we're working with a number of doctors right now who are in the middle of transitions or different stages both buying dental practices or selling them, joining partnerships, leaving them. And one of the things in order to, or, or considering practices too, you know, that maybe they're really early in the process about transitioning out or into an office. And the, the one factor that really, I think, uh, creates a successful or can continue the successful transition through this is uh, keeping the momentum going for the transition. We have, there aren't, people aren't gonna be closing on the sale or purchasing a practice while everything's shut down. We're gonna be waiting until, uh, with some exceptions, but we're gonna be waiting until offices reopen. Uh, but it's imperative on both the doctor who's gonna be retiring or leaving their practice or gonna be joining a practice is to keep, that, keep the momentum of the transition going. I'm going to mention a couple of legal things in a bit, but really the a successful transition has nothing to do with the contracts that you sign, um, but it's about the relationships that you have between the doctors. And if that relationship can continue and be positive, then you're going to have a successful transition. And that is 
that includes, and I think the main piece of that is keeping that communication up uh, between the, the doctors and talking about what you're worried about, what your expectations are, what you want, and what, you know, what, you know, you don't want, you know, maybe there are, you know, things that you're worried about. It's, a, it's really important to talk about those and to, to talk to your doctor that you're transitioning with. Um, but, you know, in the end, it still may come down to signing contracts. And there are ways that you need, you can protect yourself in the contract that would, you know, allow you to, you know, slow the transaction down or back out if need be or, or renegotiate. And, and you can get really creative in uh, setting closing dates, you know, based on when uh, practices reopen, when the governors are ordering the uh, uh, or allowing the op the offices to reopen. Uh, it can also be in conditions of closing or other contingencies to uh, uh, you know for moving ahead with the transaction. There right now is a great time to look at a dental practice or to buy a dental practice because of interest rates are so low right now. You know they're they're lower than they'll ever be. Um, and, uh, and so if you can go ahead with it right now and try to lock in that interest rate, you know, find that practice that you want and make that offer, um, you can put contingencies in the pre in your offer or in the contract to protect yourself if the practice doesn't reopen or it doesn't, uh, reopen to where you want it to be. And and if you're still concerned, you know, I'd recommend that you talk to your advisors about getting creative with you know, all terms of the contract. Um, you know, we've been talking about, you know, I've heard of people structuring transactions with earnouts so that their, you know, purchase prices are going to be uh, based on, you know, revenue going forward um, or the, the profitability of the practice. You know, there's a lot of ways that we can write those contracts to be protective of both sides of the transaction so that the doctor who's leaving going to be is going to be protected um, and the doctor who's going to be coming in is going to be protected um, but you can't really you're never going to get there if you lose the momentum with the doctor on the other side of the transaction and if you lose that that communication um, you know, doc, it's pretty easy uh, for one side to lose trust with the other side of a transition and when that happens, it's a lot more difficult to get creative um, and to, to find a solution to, to whatever problems that arise. So, um, you know, I think that keeping those, that communication up and keeping the momentum, if you can, is the best way to, to really protect yourself on, on any side of, you know, whatever it is, from associates, uh, joining in as an associate, hiring an associate, joining as a partner, you know, buying or selling a practice. Joe, if I'm a dentist right now and I'm involved in a transition and, uh, you know, I'm fearful, there's some fear that's just out in the marketplace right now. How do you back me down from that? Well, I, I you know, I tell them that, you know, first things first is that you're probably not going to be closing on the sale if you're buying a dental practice, let's say, um, while everything's closed. You know, we're going to wait at least a couple weeks to a month to two months after they reopen. Um, you know, and then we put we talk about ways to you know condition the sale on recovery of the practice, uh, depending on how far you are along 
in the transaction. Uh, but, but if you have a good relationship, if you're buying a dental practice with the selling doctor, then having that conversation, you're going to get so far with, with them because you have a relationship. And you know, anyone who is selling their dental practice and transitioning out, they want their dental practice. This is across the board. They all want their dental practice to be successful after they leave. Now, they've worked in their office for 20, 30 years, and they've developed a you know, very successful practice that they want to continue. It's, you know, it's part of their legacy. And so, ever, you know, so that they want to pass that on to the buying doctor, and they're going to be, um, and so that communication, talking about getting creative about you know, conditions of closing and contingencies can, can really help that person who's going into it. Okay. Yeah, Joe, one last question. I don't know if you have, have experienced this or not, but I'm just going to kind of throw it out there. Um, you know, when you're doing a transition and there's the dental practice in question um, has several team members who end up coming down with the COVID-19 virus. Um, and that is kind of, you know, maybe running rampant in the practice. Is that a kind of a, a deal killer or is there something that you can do about that in terms of keeping the transition moving? I'm just kind of throwing that out there just uh, it's kind of just a, a question, food for thought. Oh, you know, we haven't experienced that, thankfully. Okay, thank um, you. But I would say that, you know, it's going to put a pause on the transition. Um, and, you know, it's typical to have provisions in a contract that there's a material you know, adverse change to the practice, then the buyer can slow it down. Um, you know, it's if they have a signed purchase agreement, it's going to be imperative that they read that to see what their rights and their obligations are um, because there's always notice provisions and hoops you need to jump through to uh, take advantage of those provisions. Um, but you know, if that happens, the, the way it typically works, if this is going to be a, uh, an asset sale where one doctor is leaving and another doctor is going to come on, then, you know, they, the doctor who's leaving quote unquote terminates their employees and the doctor who's coming in is going to hire those employees. And, and so, you know, there's going to be, and, and the selling doctor, it, you know, keeps all their liabilities and the buying doctor doesn't assume those liabilities uh, unless they agree to do so. So, uh, you know, typically it's going to be on a case by case basis for those individual employees to make sure that they're healthy and to make sure that the practice is going to be ready to go after that happens. So um, there's definitely going to be a pause uh, to make sure everything gets sorted out. Uh, but they definitely, as long as it's a you know good practice has got you know good fundamentals, then it's going to go forward and and uh, eventually and once everything gets sorted out. Okay, right, Joe, thanks, I got a question for you. Just finish the second. Um, if we're back at the office working and uh, a team member comes down with COVID nineteen because a patient got in, any kind of legal liability for the owner of the practice? Well, that's, you know, this is not in my general expertise. This is probably for Lisa. You know, there, there are work comp laws that are going to protect, workers' compensation laws are going to protect um, the, the worker. Um, and there's insurance, you know, uh, all dental offices have that workers' compensation insurance to pay for that if, it, if they can prove. Now, the problem is you have to prove that they, they contracted it while they're working. Um, and insurance plans, um, they will, you know, they have a whole procedure for that. But I'll leave that. I'm going to kick that one over to Lisa. 
so I, th I think actually one possibility is that if you have an employee who comes down with COVID-19, you actually, OSHA kicks in. Um, all employers are expected to keep track of any um, communicable diseases that happen at the dental office. And so your OSHA plan should be up to date. You should be ready because COVID-19 has been added to OSHA regulations as a disease that you need to report. So keep that in mind, um, number one. And number two, workers' comp does require that someone prove that they've likely got the, um, had the exposure at work as opposed to out in the community. Um, that's going to be hard to prove for a little while because there are so many people who are asymptomatic in the community. Mm -hmm. And until testing completely changes and everyone who needs a test can get a test, it's going to be hard to prove those cases. Okay. And then Lisa. Uh, I have one other thought for, for Joe right. here. Uh, Joe, in your experience writing these contracts, uh, say something about the, the force majeure. <laughs> It's a good French phrase, but sure. about that, please. It, it's, it's in it, contracts, it isn't. It is. Uh, not in all of them, but uh, it is in some contracts. Usually we see those in contracts that are ongoing, that continue for a long period of time. And what it means is that if there's a um, natural disaster uh, or a, um, a act of God or some unforeseen event that prevents one one party from performing their obligations under the lease, uh, then they are they can be relieved uh, from their obligation to perform under the contract. We don't typically see that in a purchase like an asset purchase agreement if someone's going to be buying a contract because the contract doesn't have a lot of ongoing uh, obligations that someone needs to actively do in order to comply with it that would be prevented by you know a particular um, uh, like uh, pandemic potentially um, where we do see it though are in their in office leases and uh, we have we're working with a client right now who is signing a lease that we're helping with and and we're actually dra drafting a pretty broad um, force majeure clause that will allow a the dentist to stop paying rent in order uh, if if they are ordered to be closed down, but they are those clauses are very limited and a lot of times they're drafted very narrowly, so that if it if in the lease perspective unless it's written usually they're written so that you just don't have to be open if there's a requirement to be open under the lease you don't have to be open during that time it rarely unless drafted relieves your um, relieves you of the obligation to pay rent. Okay. All right. Oh, okay. But you can draft it that way. We are drafting them now that way to to relieve them of paying rent. Now, landlords need to accept that, uh, and they need to say yes to that language, and that's still an open question. Uh, but depending on the leverage of the tenant, uh, if they can get that language in there, you know, we're pushing for that. Then I would, uh, you know, definitely recommend asking for that type of language. All right, Joe. I think that the 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 dentists would have an advantage there, just because they're such great tenants. I mean, all the landlords want them. They do want them, uh, but they still want rent, and uh, and so they will. And it's still it's an open question, really, about what yeah. we're going to get on those new leases for the, these forest measures. I I think that you know in this one, uh, we did get pretty expensive language, 
in that lease, but not all, every, every landlord's different. And, um, and so you just got to ask. The Dental Breakdown Show, sponsored by White & Associates Practice Consulting. Better business, better dentistry. They are a practice management consulting firm for dentists and other healthcare-related businesses. Their sole purpose is to implement proven strategies through online and in-practice visits and result in the personal professional success of the dentist and his or her team. You know, we're talking about the changes that are going on in the dental practice. We're talking about the uh, systems and how they're going to affect the profitability in the office. You and I both know that there's a million-dollar question in dentistry. The most important system in the dental practice is recall. Oh, you know about that. Yes, we do. <laughs> everybody, and everybody lines up to do this at 2 in the morning. Come well, on. It's, uh, you know, Joe is talking about momentum here, and that's a very, very valuable quantity. Uh, the dental offices have had, had lots of momentum in January, and all of a sudden we're stuck at the station here and trying to figure out, get out of the station and build the momentum up. And how do we do that? Um, as you said, there's one, you know, we worry about two things in dentistry. One is patient retention and new patients coming into the family, okay? Well, the most, the greatest patient retention system is the recall system. And as you've indicated, you know, People stand in line at 4 a.m. to get to the office. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's one of those things. It's just, it's, it's a wonder to watch, okay? Nobody will actually want to do that. And the system has been developed, so we've got all these digital uh, pieces that will do it for you, and the staff just love it because they don't have to talk to anybody. Well, at this point in time where we've lost momentum, to get it back up, I think you need to be calling people. And it's an opportunity to extend yourself to them, let them know what's going on in the office, let them know they're still important. And a personal phone call, I think, is a really big deal, especially when we've got people at the office who are getting paid to do essentially nothing. Um, so the value of a recall phone call can really be huge. And I think staff don't always know that. Uh, you look at an average hygiene visit of you know, $100, $200, and you think of a doctor's visit as another $300, dollars $500, and you get the two of them together when you do a recall. It's really an important recall phone call. It's, it, it's worth spending some time on, and very few people recognize that. Uh, of course, what you say on the phone has got to be pretty well worked out, and how the responses work out is uh, important to be trained on. So um, when we reopen, I think, the looking at the delinquent recall visits, the, the delinquent recall list, the lists coming up in May, June, and July, it, it will probably pay to call these people. Uh, it is more in tune with what Frank is saying, developing relationships. It's hard to do that on a digital format. It's hard to do that with just an email. It's got to be done on a person-to-person -person basis. Um, it tells people that... Um, you count, you're important, and we really want to see you um, as part of the family. So that's important too. Now, Frank said something else that's really important, um, developing relationship and how to get patients to say yes and how do you do that. Um, and today, it's going to be a little bit different than the past, but I think there's some basics here that need some attention. Christian and I have, over the years, done some studies on how it is patients say yes. Patients want, we, we want patients to say yes to our recommendations. And 
too many dentists recite chapter and verse that they learned in dental school and expect patients to jump to and say, yes, we'll do it. Well, today is probably not, not going to happen. It didn't really happen very well before this either. It was just kind of by accident. But there are basically four pieces here that I think you have to Im 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 pay attention to. And that's this. One is patients accept dentistry for their reasons, not yours. Today, their reasons will be important to listen to and to uh, pay attention to what they're having to say. The second is this, patients buy benefits, not procedures. Um, the benefits, guys, will never be clinical because the patient doesn't have a clinical education. So how do you discover what the patient's benefits are? You listen to them, ask good questions, uh, and give them some time. Is the dentist that does this? Not necessarily, but sometimes. Sometimes we have some really talented team members who can take time and do that, some good communication type people. Um, and Frank uh, hit on this as well too. He's very good at this. Patients, <laughs> this is the funny part, patients accept on emotions and they justify their decisions with logic. I mean, when was the last time you didn't want to be called logical? You don't want to be called emotional, but everybody makes decisions based on their emotions, but they don't always tell you what those are. So uh, I think it's important to hear again, to listen to them, ask them questions, what's important to them. Talk about health, not just about the crown. Talk about uh, you know, things that are gonna impact their health, not just pocket depths, okay? And here comes the last one, which is probably the most important. Um, it's more important for your patient to feel that they're understood than it is to have them understand the treatment plan. How do you get a patient to feel that they're understood? Surprise, you have to act interested in them, not just be interesting. Uh, Frank is one of the most successful dentists in the state of Minnesota, and he's been doing this for 210 years. He knows all about it. His staff know all about it. He's got a great staff. He's trained them well. Uh, and they do all of this. Ask questions. Don't make statements. You will do well. The offices that have done well prior to the virus did this well too. They don't just hurry up and say, you need this, you need this, you need this. The word need is not in our vocabulary. It shouldn't be. Um, so anyhow, um, the trust has always been in dentistry. I think um, you know it has been said that uh, next to Supreme Court justices, dentists are the next trusted, highly trusted people, True. and for that. And um, so we need to keep that going. But you have to kind of do it intentionally with some listening and some good questions, and stick around for their answers. Don't just hurry, hurry, hurry. The corporate. Jay? Yes. I may say to dovetail into you, experience is a tough teacher. First you get the test, then you get the lesson. Yeah, right. Uh, that's so true. That's so true. And call, and wisdom, I always say, you don't get wisdom until you're 60 years old because you have to make some mistakes first. <laughs> uh, we all have made some mistakes and hopefully we, we learn from them. But anyhow, uh, that recall system, now is the time to work on it. People are at home. They're not at the ball game. They're not out at the dinner. They're at home. You can talk to them, and what? It'll be re it'll be rejuvenation. It'll be a good time. Mm -hmm. But 
just do it over the text. I don't think that will work. And um, if you want to improve acceptability, ask people questions about what's important to them, how they feel about it, and uh, let them know that you're there to keep them safe. Wonderful. Thank you, Jay. Um, this is a question that I'm just going to kind of throw out to the panel, to all of you. Um, you know, we've got this COVID virus, uh, the dental practices, we're trying to figure out how we run to stay profitable. You know, when we make payments, um, I think dental practices are going to need to move to an online payment system where the, late, the people to just bypass the front desk and they don't have that, that extra interaction. What do you guys think about that? From a staff perspective and a, you know, streamlining that process of getting people from congregating in areas or being where they might need to be within six feet of someone else, it's a great idea. And a lot of restaurants who have takeout are doing that where they do the whole transaction online and all you do is open a door and grab your food. Um, you're not even interacting with anyone on the other side of the doorway. And that is probably, um, if you're not someone who can have someone at the front door, it would be even better to have someone meet someone and be able to whisk them off to a treatment room right away. Okay. Frank, you know, um, some offices have in their computer system the ability to take payments uh, right, right there. And you can do this in the car, in the parking lot, but you want to try and avoid doing it at the front desk, I think. Slows things down and it allows people to congregate and bump into each other, and that's probably not good. A credit card is that's how everything's going these days. Frank, why don't you give us your two cents? Okay, it's all about change, and you know this about dentists. Uh, I used to be a dentist, I think I'm a human being now, versus just a doctor. Is change can be our biggest opportunity or our biggest threat. And if you don't want to change these things, it's going to add stress, but everybody wants to go back to the way it used to be. And I think that's the new normal is uh, payment is done, but you're also going to have to get the charges up front. You can't say, excuse me, Jay, we just charge you for the crown. And oh, by the way, we took a picture. So there's another $28 involved. You have to be very, very precise when you do that. Correct, Frank. Um, you can't ask me to stop at the front desk because, oh, we did something extra today. And that's 50 bucks. Uh, now, some people will no. still pay that, but it's you. I mean, I think you know, in the in the realm of everything that's going on, the front desk in itself is going to take on an entirely new piece. It used to be the epicenter of the practice and I don't think it's going to be that anymore. It will to a little degree, well, but it's going to change a lot. The, the, the surprise, no one likes to be surprised. Dentists like to be surprised and patients don't like to be surprised either. What's this bill, this, this $50 bill for? I didn't expect that. You know, it's like going to a car, car repair place and they charge you an extra 200 bucks because they didn't tell you about it. It's not good. No. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I think that just to kind of reiterate, the communication is the key. Um, you know, really getting everything, uh, explaining it. Um, if you can, if people understand what it is, you know, they're more than willing to pay it. People are willing to do 
um, they, they're willing to pay for services that they receive as long as it's you're upfront about it. Mm-hmm. Communication. Okay. That means, you know, who's ever putting the uh, treatment plan together is going to have to be really good. Everything's going to have to be, here's what we're doing today. You can't add anything in. We want to get the patients in and get them out. Correct, Frank? Correct. Okay. Great. And I'm as guilty. I'm as guilty as everybody else by making changes. Uh, I I got to learn too. And so I think it's an opportunity to rethink that front desk position. Um, yes. Maybe in the past, the front desk person was doing that face-to-face thing with people, where you would check how is their health then, any health updates, um, billing, all that kind of stuff. And now maybe that is actually you know someone who's on the phone with the patient before the appointment either by cell phone or other interaction, to make sure that you have updated symptom lists, updated information, everything is ready so that, that, and to give that patient an expectation of, okay, so when you come in, this is what we're gonna do. Um, and so take, it doesn't make the front desk person any less um, necessary, because, but their interaction would be less face-to-face and more over the phone. Correct, that's a, that's a, that's a good point, Lisa. Uh, I want to make an observation here that I had happen this morning. Um, the business of dentistry and the airline business is quite similar. Uh, both are purchase decisions made on a volunteer basis. No one has to go to a dentist and no one has to fly on an airplane. Both businesses are experiencing a lack of trust and fear at this moment. And each industry is taking steps in its own benefit to, to take, make people feel, I mean, we want to get people out back flying, okay, but you have to have them feel good in an enclosed, enclosed cabin. So this morning, the news came out this way. I think it was United Airlines is taking out the third seat. The third seat, the one that we always love to be in, they're taking it out wow. and they're replacing it with a barrier so that when you sit down, you don't have anybody on your left or you don't have anybody on your right. And it's wonderful. I can hardly wait to fly. (laughs) (laughs) But anyhow, um, they're moving directions to where, you know, it might become fun to fly again. It's no longer any fun. You got stacked in there like sardines. So in our dental offices, we have to do something similar. I don't think we have to do quite like the airlines, but things that Frank have talked about, I think that Joe's talking about, Lisa, you know, we have to take steps to make people feel safe. Showing up at the front door with a gown and a face mask and all this other stuff is all part of the perception that we have to give, give these people less fear. And we are, we'll be, we will be healthy coming to your office. Well said. Wonderful. All right, thanks, Jay. Thank you for listening today. Thank you to our guests, Joe and Lisa Netzer of Minnesota Transitions. You can contact them at minnesotatransitions.com slash contact us. Dr. Frank Milner, Clinical Mentoring. You can contact him at milnermentoring.com slash contact dash us. Jay White of White & Associates Practice Consulting. You can contact him at whitedentalconsulting.com slash breakdown. Think our discussion on the private dentist response to the coronavirus was informative and very helpful. Again, I'm Christian White of White & Associates Practice Consulting, Better Business, Better Dentistry. If you'd like more information on today's topic, you can contact us at whitedentalconsulting.com slash breakdown. See you next time on the Dental Breakdown Show.